Hello and welcome to Conversations with, a podcast of the Lancet Oncology. My name is Marcia and it is a great pleasure to welcome you to this podcast dedicated to the Lancet Oncology's Commission on Medical Imaging and Nuclear Medicine. This is a project that has taken three years of original work by a large group of internationally renowned experts, of whom four join us today to describe the work and its findings. We will be speaking with Professor Hedvig Risak from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in the USA, Professor Andrew Scott from the Olivia Newton-John Cancer Research Institute in Australia, Professor Rifat Atum from Harvard TH Chan School of Public Health in the US, and Professor May Abdel Wahab from the International Atomic Energy Agency in Austria. Our latest commission was convened in light of the fact that although cancer imaging is vital for early and accurate diagnosis, tumor staging, treatment planning and targeting, monitoring treatment responses and assessing post-treatment relapse, these essential roles in the cancer care continuum are often overlooked in health systems, particularly in low and middle income countries. We will start our interview now with Hedvig. Thank you for agreeing to speak with us. Can you please tell us briefly about the background for this commission and the different roles imaging and nuclear medicine have in cancer? So first of all, Marcia, thank you very much for inviting me to participate in this podcast. I really appreciate it. As you probably know, globally, cancer remains a leading cause of cancer death and one of the most critical healthcare problems. It is projected that in the next 20 years, global cancer incidence will rise as much as 60%. The differences in cancer mortality and access to cancer care between different parts of the world are huge. And today with easy internet access and all the data at our fingertips, we can simply no longer ignore these inequalities. I think we have a moral and social responsibility to address the disparities in cancer care globally. And the members of this Commission on Medical Imaging and Nuclear Medicine are so very grateful to Dr. David Collingridge for his decision to use the commission format to undertake a comprehensive review of the global status of cancer. Previous Lancet Oncology Commissions on access to surgery and radiation therapy both pointed out that imaging is essential for effective treatment planning. I often say we can look at imaging as a GPS for cancer care. Diagnostic imaging such as CT, MRI, or ultrasound can detect tumor, show the tumor location, tumor extent, and therefore contribute to treatment decision such as should you use surgery, radiation, medical therapy, or combination. And imaging is also used as a GPS after treatment to look for recurrence. I will say just as you wouldn't normally choose to drive in an unknown city today without a GPS, you would never choose to treat cancer without evaluating by imaging. Nuclear medicine, because they use radioisotopes, 
adds additional metabolic and functional information about the tumor. And for example, today, FDG PET-CT is considered a cornerstone of the management for many cancer types, for example, lymphoma or lung cancer. Thank you. And what are the main obstacles for assessing imaging and nuclear medicine resources? Is it equipment force and education or political will? Shall we say all of the above? Disparities in access to equipment are huge, but so are disparities in the supply of trained healthcare personnel. And that includes not only physicians such as radiologists or nuclear medicine, but also technologists, radio pharmacists, nurses, and so on. I would not say that political will has been lacking. I would rather point out that perhaps there has not been an organized effort to educate the policymakers. And we sincerely hope that our report or report from our commission will have an educational impact. And in addition, will also demonstrate societal health benefits and compelling case for investment. For the first time today, we have shown that access to imaging has a tremendous effect on cancer survival and also brings substantial economic benefits. We hope that by getting this message out, we will be able to motivate political leaders to invest in imaging infrastructure, healthcare workers' education, and incentives to keep trained personnel in the places when they are most needed. Retention of healthcare professionals in low middle income country is not easy and we will do our very best to help them achieve a better retention. Andrew, I would like to ask you now a few questions about emerging technologies. The Commission highlights a large unmet need for cancer imaging and underutilization. Can you give some examples of how newer technologies, such as the use of AI and theranostics, might improve access standards and the value of imaging at a lower cost? Certainly, the Lancet Oncology Commission has demonstrated that the use of um, artificial intelligence or AI uh, may clearly have an impact, particularly in low and middle income countries. Uh, we know that AI-driven workflow can impact on uh, being able to uh, protocolise patients for appropriate imaging uh, when they're going for scans. That can also be applied for lower cost instruments, which can be implemented in low and middle income countries. But in particular, it may have a role in being able to provide uh, initial uh, analysis of images and identification of abnormalities, which can then either provide initial reports for the referring clinicians or can then be utilised by radiologists or nuclear medicine physicians either locally or through telecommunication linkages that can also provide the results back to the uh, individual referring sites. The other way that AI may have an important role is through its ability to be able to identify particular image qualities which can relate to prognostic factors 
which are relevant to the individual patients. So that, for example, we think that it might be possible in some instances to develop protein-based or even genomic information from the radiomics patterns from the imaging which is derived. And so all of these may be able to be combined in low and middle income countries to provide additional information otherwise would not be available. Do you see a, a much wider use of mHealth and telemedicine as a step change to improve use of imaging? Very much so. The ability to have patient information through, for example, an electronic medical record is essential to be able to not only provide care for patients in a very accurate way, but it can also uh, allow uh, information to be shared broadly across the country uh, where the patient is located. Uh, we know that EMRs are available broadly in only about 50% of high-income countries and about 35% of middle-income countries and down to only about 15% of low-income countries. So the ability to have digital connectivity and access to um, clinical information is key. Telemedicine will also have a very important role. We know that there are very impressive initiatives in low and middle income countries where point of care imaging data is made available and which can be transmitted to central sites for analysis and then feedback the results to where the patients are actually seen. Uh, and this use of telemedicine, which even in high income countries has become very important during the COVID-19 situation, uh, will clearly have a potential role mo moving forward in ensuring availability of timely and accurate imaging information for cancer patients uh, in all countries. Uh, this commission, like many of our previous commissions, highlights the importance of in-country research and an investment in research. Why is this such of big importance in uh, broadening access to clinical care? I think it's very clear that research is integral to the best provision of care to cancer patients. We know that clinical trials clearly are able to provide not just access to new diagnostic and therapeutic approaches to patients, uh, but also has been demonstrated to impact on uh, patient outcomes. And so the ability to train people adequately in research and clinical trials increases their knowledge, increases their productivity, builds teams and provides linkages between smaller sites and larger sites, which is essential when you're looking at low and middle income countries in elevating the quality of care to the next level. I think the other important part is that education linked to research is essential if we're going to maintain the, the quality of the care that we're giving and also ensure that appropriate care is delivered as well. So this is a key way in which teaching, training and research in low middle income countries through local delivery of the information or through online education and training programs clearly will have an increasingly important role in improving cancer outcomes moving forward. Thank you, Andrew. We heard about new technological advancements, but we also need to discuss the financing. So I now pass on to Rifat. Welcome. What would be your key arguments from an economic point of view, based on the research for this commission, about the need to invest in cancer imaging? Yes, thank you for your question. Well, for the first time, we have evidenced investing in imaging diagnostics for cancer 
leads and produces very substantial health benefits, but in addition, large economic benefits and very high returns on investment. Previously, we knew that imaging diagnostics was valuable, but we were not able to quantify the, the benefits in terms of health, economic and broader societal benefits. We now have the strong evidence for that from the Commission's work. And how can we convince governments that cancer imaging and scale-up of cancer care should be a priority against the backdrop of all the other pools on the public purse and the prevailing politics? Where can governments find the capital to invest in cancer imaging? Well, I think there are several questions uh, in, in that question. The first uh, important message to governments is that if one is serious about managing cancer effectively, in treating cancer effectively, one has to invest in imaging, one has to scale, along with scaling up treatment, radiotherapy and surgery, and improve, improve quality of services. One or the other will not do. There needs to be a comprehensive approach to investing in cancer. The second message is that there's a very strong investment case for investing in imaging uh, diagnostics for cancer because there are very substantial economic returns beyond the health returns that we have previously focused on. So for a government, the governments need to invest in areas where there is a return in, in terms of health benefits and societal benefits and economic benefits. The third uh, component of your question is, where will the money come from? Well, there are several areas where the money could come from. First of all, in many low, in, low and middle-income countries, economies are growing in spite of COVID-19. So there is growth in general revenue for governments and part of that funding can be allocated to the health sector and to cancer where there's a growing burden. The second area where one could uh, generate uh, additional funding for health is allocating some funding from the government budget from other sectors to health. Well, in practice, this is quite difficult because each line ministry will want money for their own area. So while in theory that is desirable and, and possible in practice, politically, it may not be feasible. The third and potentially very important area is targeted taxes. So tax on tobacco, tax on alcohol, tax on sugary beverages, and channeling these uh, the tax revenue into health. And many countries have done this very successfully. If one looks at Philippines example, they've generated very large amounts of money uh, and invested in, in the scale up of universal health coverage. And countries like Thailand have used tobacco tax revenues to invest in prevention. Uh, fourth potential area is improving efficiency and effectiveness of health systems. We know that there's huge amount of waste in health systems. So one could improve efficiency and realize savings to invest in cost-effective interventions, including in interventions to manage cancer for prevention, treatment, and care. Fifth area is innovative financing. Again, there are a number of uh, exciting developments, for example, use of social impact bonds, where one is able to invest in, in new areas, new interventions, but actually the, the funding is mobilized when results are achieved. So that provides an impetus for 
delivering high quality and effective care that produce results. And finally, one can think of as part of the innovative financing approach, one can think of um, bringing together public-private partnerships to, to co-invest in health and, and co-invest in imaging diagnostics for cancer because the benefits accrue not just to individuals, but to the society and to the country as a whole. So there's an investment case for everyone. Finally, countries could also borrow to invest because there is now a compelling case for investing in health with very large returns. Thank you. I think these are all uh, great suggestions. May, welcome. We are also interested in understanding the roles of non-governmental organizations. We have heard some arguments from an economic point of view. So now from a philosophical side, what arguments can be made to convince politicians that healthcare is an investment in their country and not just a drain of limited public finances? And moreover, cancer care should be seen as a human right. So many of the Lancet commissions, whether in radiotherapy or radiology, diagnostic imaging and nuclear medicine, have shown that there is a very significant economic impact to be able to upscale all of these activities. However, that is not the only thing that we should be looking at. We have to look at the fabric of society, the right to life and the right to good health. And all of these are the building blocks of a very successful society. Unless we're able to take care of the weak or people who have specific diseases or people who need support, as a society, as a global society, I think we would have failed our, our objective and our goal. We have to remember that um, treating cancer does not only affect the individual in terms of a better life or life at all, but it also affects the whole family, the society that depends on them, it's a ripple effect. And unless we really commit to it, we are undermining our ability to have a strong society worldwide. I think that the economic argument has been shown and that's the advantage of the Lancet commissions. But I think the, the other argument about what is ethical in our lives today as human beings has to be brought up as well. And beyond that, the fact that this person who lives longer will continue to provide and support society in general and have other far-reaching uh, impacts on society. So all that together is a very compelling argument. And if we want to look at the dollars and cents, we already have that information. It's very clear from the Lancet commissions. Thank you. Um, now, intergovernmental agencies are key stakeholders in supporting national governments with evidence for policy change and structural support. Can you tell us about some of the activities the International Atomic Energy Agency has done in relation to this commission and will be doing in the future to assist with health systems strengthening around cancer imaging and nuclear medicine? So an example is, of course, the IAEA. And as an intergovernmental agency that is interested in supporting uh, health uh, related to nuclear and uh, radiation, it is an extremely important player on the world stage. The IAEA has supported these specialties for many, many years, for decades, and continues to do so. If we want to specifically look at what was done recently related to the recent commission, we have an important contribution to the world community through the Imagine database, 
which is the first time we have all of this information in one place, not only of the number of machines, but also uh, bringing in data from other databases in terms of the economic situation and in different countries and so forth. And so we can really look at mapping the gaps in imaging and nuclear medicine and correlating it to the economic uh, situation on the ground as well. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we have, we have been providing consultations on imaging needs and the best fit for the situation on the ground. And that is of great benefit because what we don't want to do with our limited resources is either choose the wrong equipment for the country or for the disease that's there and recommend things that may be expensive but won't be as beneficial. So we have to balance that out. And that takes a lot of data and a lot of experience on the ground within each country. And uh, we do have that at the IAA specific groups and people within the IAA that are specifically dedicated to certain countries and regions and work in them and have visited and are very involved in that. So the consultations are the first thing and the Imagine database supports that. But also I would say the safety infrastructure is important and the quality. So whatever we do on the ground, we wanna make sure that people, it's, that it's done safely and that people get the best quality. We shouldn't really say good quality healthcare because healthcare by definition has to be good quality. And that's what we have to try to achieve always. So in addition to that, how are we going to fill in the gaps that were identified? Well, we have several areas that, that the IA can support. So education through continuing medical education of the personnel on the ground, and also training from the very beginning when you have, for example, uh, you need a radiologist, it takes years and it's very costly. And a lot of times it's not taken into consideration. Uh, we have challenges already, like we know the brain drain and others. And so this part is extremely important and the IA does support that. Then once a center is decided that we want to set it up, then we can look at guidance documents. We have support in procurement and provi providing specifications. One example is the new guidance document that is an IAWHO guidance document on radiotherapy specifications, for example, to support policymakers in, in, in being able to do that. And with quality assurance, we have a whole center what we call the dosimetry lab that has machines similar to the ones that we see on the ground and is able to calibrate equipment to make sure that the equipment is well calibrated so they can measure the radiation, what's going on on the ground. But also we have postal audits and, and various services and they're all for free. The IA provides them to enhance the quality uh, on the ground, but also missions to centers to be able to support that. And many others. And on a higher scale, we support the um, National Comprehensive uh, Cancer Control Plans to be able to incorporate diagnostic imaging and radiotherapy into these plans and make sure that these are uh, able to support the plan for the country and to, to move forward in that direction. So in addition, we, we can't forget a very important area that a lot of people forget about is, is research. And I'm not talking just about basic research, but I'm talking about applied research and why is that important? So basically, how do we know what's happening on the ground? We need to look at patterns of care studies to know what's actually happening, real world data. We need to have health economic studies, but we also need to have clinical studies showing the benefit of one treatment or one diagnostic imaging modality over the other. And in doing so, in the end, it's a way of resource sparing because we will be able to choose the best 
imaging study or, or treatment for that particular situation. So I think uh, all of this and innovations like AI and, and machine learning to, to make the process a bit easier on the small number of experts on the ground that are battling cancer and, and other diseases day in and day out. But uh, we, you know, we want to try to give them a little help in that and support them, and uh, especially in view of the lack of sufficient staff and resources around the world. Thank you to all our speakers. Edvik, I'd like to end the interview with you. What are the key action points in this commission for improved access to cancer imaging worldwide? We do have a roadmap. Uh, it is ambitious, and, and we hope uh, by going in a stepwise uh, direction, we'll, we will succeed. So the first priority is wide dissemination of our results. We need to convey our findings to policymakers and ministers of health around the world, and especially in the low middle income country. But we also need to reach out, not just the imaging community, but the entire oncology community. And then a broad array of industry and healthcare providers and large. We already have a plan how to do that through attending and presenting in a wide variety of meetings. Then we need to connect with oncology leaders from different countries who were part of these commissions, but we need to have a wider network so they can use our results to assess the particular imaging need for their own country. You know, as we often say, all politics is local and the success of any initiative depends on local leaders addressing their own needs. Then we need to help those leaders by developing an overarching global strategy for scaling up cancer imaging diagnostics in their environment. And part of this strategy will be ensuring that imaging is included in essential benefit package as countries expand universal health coverage. We also need to assure, assure that cancer imaging is a part of oncology networks in the low middle income country. It is a part in many high income countries, such as UK, but not in the low middle income country. And we need to develop and implement access to remote image interpretation and consultation services for underserved areas. Oh, we need also to expand education and hands-on training opportunities. See, the, the goals are really huge, but we can do it. And because all of these efforts require resource, uh, we have put forward the target establishing a dedicated fund for advancing cancer diagnostics in low middle income country. And we are in the process of planning organizational and administrative de detail of such a fund. It is essential to have a fair and transparent process by which different country can apply for support. Say so we understand that and I think with help of the entire community and the help of the leaders, 
and policymakers, we have a very good chance to succeed because for the first time, we have the data to show. Again, thank you to all our speakers today. The commission is now available on lancetoncology.com and with our April issue.